Welcome to Mighty Girls. By the age of 17, 55% of girls will have dropped out of sport. That number is much, much smaller for boys. Often it's not because they don't like sport anymore either, it's other things. It might be juggling sport with schoolwork or grappling with changing bodies and managing periods. On each episode of Mighty Girls, I'll be talking to girls who are achieving great things in their sports despite the challenges. We'll talk to them about their highs and their lows, what they've done to last the distance and how it's helped them in other areas of their lives. I'll also talk to parents, coaches and other healthcare professionals for tips, advice and insights on how we can keep girls engaged in sport. Thanks for joining me. Enjoy the show. Welcome to episode seven of Mighty Girls. Today we have a particularly exciting guest. Many of you will know what um, a an epic netball tragic I am. Um, and so you'll understand how excited I am to welcome uh, the Swifts and Diamond Cap 186, is it? Well done. Good memory. Well, hey, <laughs> tell you what, netball <laughs> trivia. Um, Maddie, proud to um, the pod. Welcome, Maddie. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to be here. Thank you. Well, we also have um, Michaela, who is also um, into her netball and uh, plays for Gosford and King Cumber, who will also be asking Maddie questions throughout um, our episode. Um, many of you will know for quite some time now we've been stocking Maddie's books, um, Grace on the Court, and we've just recently um, uh, put, uh, got uh, Grace back on the court in uh, the store as well. So we'll chat a little bit about Grace and the inspiration behind Grace. But to begin with, um, as with all of the topics on Mighty Girls, we want to talk to Maddie about what uh, drew her to netball, how she's managed to stay engaged in netball um, and what's happened along the way, all the adventures that she's had um, with the, the sport culminating in uh, that um, Diamonds debut um, in the recent past, which I'm desperate to hear about. So um, to kick off, Maddie, um, I guess that probably a question you've been ask, asked a million times, but I'm really keen to know, um, did you always want to be a professional netball player? I mean, when when did you start playing and when did you, I guess, start to think this could be something I could make a career out of? Yeah, I loved sport pretty much from, you know, as long as I can remember. I grew up with two brothers, so I've got an older brother and a younger brother. So sort of being the middle girl, I was always kind of battling my brothers for anything, whether it be the remote, the last slice of pizza in the fridge or the footy in the backyard. So I think sport was kind of in my blood and, you know, my dad and my mum both very active still sort of, you know, they're both in their 60s now and both still play tennis on a Saturday. And so kind of sport, you know, I, I kind of can't think about my childhood or even probably my life up until now without sport. Um, so I was really one of those kids that kind of played every sport you could, um, you know, was the only girl in the year five cricket team, played touch footy, did surf lifesaving, played basketball, played soccer, and then obviously played netball as well. And sort of got into netball because my mum had played it when she was younger. A lot of my friends at school were playing it and kind of just, you know, again, wanting to play any sport I could, thought, why not try netball? And I, you know, can still remember just falling in love with it from the beginning. I think, I don't even know what it was about netball, but kind of even just compared to all the other sports I played, it was the one that I just seemed to love the most from the beginning. And um, it sort of just seemed to click for me, uh, for me, sorry, from the get-go. And I think we always talk about netball being kind of that ultimate team sport, you know, the ball literally can't move down the court without your teammates around you and kind of love that 
that element of, of being part of a team. So I think that's probably why it kind of, yeah, shone out to me at the beginning. And, you know, I was kind of one of those kids that would always joke about being like, oh, I'm going to be a professional netballer when I'm older. And even when I was, you know, signing my friend's birthday cards and I'd sign, you know, my little signature and be like, you know, my autograph when I'm famous and always just joke about the fact that I was going to be this kind of big star. But you never sort of truly actually believe it's going to happen because I think the stats at the moment are that 0.02% of people that play netball in Australia, you know, end up making it. And there's only 80 players that kind of play in the Suncorp Super Netball. So, I, did, I definitely didn't think it would be um, something that was possible, but obviously kind of dreamt about it from the beginning. And I even remember in year nine um, being from Adelaide, I, our classes were sort of split up based on sporting teams. So you had like the Matildas, I think you had the Dolphins, and then there was a Thunderbirds class and I got put in the Thunderbirds after the Adelaide Thunderbirds. And I just remember being like, this is a sign, like I'm going to play for <laughs> the Thunderbirds and sort of, again, bragging about to all my friends and saying how cool, that, like how good of a story is this going to be? Um, and then, yeah, little did I know that it was sort of only three years later that I ended up getting that kind of call to go and play for the Thunderbirds. So I was just finishing year 11, about to start year 12 when I got the call up to play for them and at the time was the youngest player to sort of ever be contracted to a professional team and so a dream that I sort of thought years ago would potentially happen in maybe 10 years time ended up happening a lot earlier than I thought so I guess yes and no in answer to you I said yes I believed it but B I don't also think it I truly thought that it would ever come true so I'm very grateful for that right um when you had setbacks what motivated you to keep going well that's a good question I think um I have had a few setbacks. I've had, you know, missed out on state teams and things like that, you know, growing up. Um, while I was always quite good at netball and sort of from a young age was always one of the better ones in my team, I sort of tried out for a few state teams when I was younger. I think the first one I went for was an under-15 state team and I got reserve and I remember thinking it was the end of the world. And I remember saying to my mum, you know, it was very dramatic. I was like, I'm quitting netball. I'm going to become a professional tennis player because they get paid so much more and blah, 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 <laughs> you know, having this big hissy fit because I didn't make the team. But I think, you know, the next day the sun still came up and I still loved netball and still went to netball and still just wanted to keep playing. And I think for me in, in that instance, it was just the thing that got me through was the pure love of the game and knowing that, you know, regardless of whether I'm playing in the top team or the bottom team, I just I just loved being out there with my friends. And um, it also gave me a lot of motivation. I thought, you know, a reality check. Maybe I'm not as good as I think I am and so sort of forced me to, you know, try a little bit harder and, and do a bit of extra work on the side. And then the next year I tried out for the under-17 um, state team being um, only unborn in December. So I was quite young. So some of the girls are almost two years older than I was and a lot of the girls that had got in that 15 state team the year before were also trialling and I ended up getting in that team sort of over a lot of them. And it sort of, you know, gave me that, you know, real motivation of being like, okay, if I do work hard, then things will work out. Um I think as well in terms of you know, that resilience and, and bouncing back, it comes a lot from my upbringing. My parents are both, you know, gave me a lot of good values and a lot of skills um, when I was younger. They sort of, you know, always taught you to be tough and to kind of, you know, keep moving forwards and that idea of perspective and probably particularly when I did my ACL in 2019, I think, you know, you kind of think it's the end of the world because you can't play netball for a whole year and, you know, I'm, I miss out on playing in a grand final and, and all those things and it kind of sounds, seems like the biggest deal in the world at the time but, you know, there's a lot of people in the world that are going through a lot worse things and um you know if the worst thing that I ever happened is that I can't run around netball court for a, a little while then you know I'm, I'm having a pretty good life if that's the biggest thing I have to worry about um and I think I always knew like coming back from an ACL that I was going to come back and you know you always still have that kind of faith that you're going to come back and people talk about 
you know, you're going to come back bigger and stronger and, and all of that. And again, just having good people in my corner and having seen a lot of people go before me, go through that journey, it sort of motivates you even more. Um, and if anything, it just made me appreciate netball so much more. And that's what I've been sort of talking to Sam Wallace about at the moment. She's going through a, a similar journey and had a few setbacks along the way with her rehab. And it's just that idea of, you know, if you can just get through this, you'll realise how much you love playing netball and sort of everything will make sense after that. So, um, yeah, I think perspective is number one. But but also, um, yeah, just just surrounding yourself with good people, but also knowing there are going to be days where it's really hard and you're going to have really down days and days that you don't feel like showing up for your rehab or showing up to netball because you haven't made the team you want to make. But if you just keep pushing through and keep working hard, then things will work out in the end. I can't wait to play this for Cleo, um, my youngest daughter. She had a particularly good season, like really found her footing on um, in midcourt. She was always a shooter and just really found her love of centre and wing attack um, and just didn't step up on um, the, I can't remember what it's called, but, you know, the the day that they um, try out for rep team. What's that called? Whatever that um. is. Development team, development squad. Development. Yeah, development squad, thank you, and didn't get it. And um, I, I said exactly what you said to her. I was like, you know, it'll just put fire in your belly and mm. blah, blah, blah. And um, she was devastated for a few days but um, has, you know, eventually come to have that same that same view. So, you know, I think if you just get what you want at every pass, you know, sometimes that can be a deterrent from being able to um you know grow to your full potential and I think it's so like everyone has such different journeys and I remember even like a Kimra Valley and didn't make her first state team to under 19 so there's other than you know it was in the diamonds a couple of years later and I remember being on stage with um Sophie Dwyer when we both were away with the diamonds but weren't selected in the 12 um but we had debuted sort of a couple of days earlier and so we'd both debuted in the same game and we're sort of talking about just how different our journeys were but we'd both kind of you know, come to this same point and Sophie being 20 at the time, me being 28 and her sort of being in her second or third year of SSN and me being in my 12th or 13th year and it was sort of just that idea that you can never compare your story to anybody else's and everyone's going to take, you know, some might take a lot longer and some might have a lot more, you know, lows and they do highs and for other people it might be smooth sailing until one point and then something happens but that's what I always try and tell young girls that sort of yeah ask oh you know I didn't make this 13s rep team and I'm like I know it seems like the biggest deal in the world right now but you know in a couple of years time you'll be thinking back to you know how was I worrying about that when I'm now doing this and um yeah I just think you can never think oh just because she made this team means that I'm never gonna make it or I miss out on this and that means my dream's over because it never is you could be debuting for the diamonds at 28 or you could be debuting at 20 or you could be you know waiting that your time to make certain teams so yeah I think that I comparison can be sort of a dangerous thing so mm, always know that there's someone else that has taken a different way to get there as well mm, yeah absolutely absolutely have you had an experience like that Michaela where um you've found that something that you haven't achieved has actually given you more motivation to try harder to make it happen next time um yeah I tried out for the uh, Central Coast Academy team this year for um, under for next year and I didn't make it in um, but I really but I'm just going to keep trying harder to get better for next year so I can make it in yeah I know you will <laughs> <laughs> yes you will <laughs> do you have another question for Maddie Michaela yes um one second uh what's your uh, best advice to your 14 year old self 
Oh, I like that Ooh, one. That's a great question. Isn't that's a it? hard one. That probably would have been the age that I was, sort of that 14, 15, when I missed out on that state team. And it's probably the advice that I just gave before is that, you know, don't think that it's the end of the world and, um, you know, don't probably, you know, get so down about the little things. And I think, you know, we can really sweat the small stuff when we're young. And I probably have only realised not to do that in the last probably one or two years. And I'm now 29. And um, even now being a leader, like I in my first years of being captain of the Swifts, I was so worried about what everyone thought all the time. And I had this real fear of people not liking me. And I always wanted to be everyone's best friend. And I was sort of always so worried if I had to make a tough decision that was going to maybe make somebody unhappy. And, you know, I'd spend all of this, you know, wasted energy just worrying about things that probably that never ended up happening. And again, it's probably only been this year that I've realised that as a captain, people respect you a lot more when you do make those hard decisions. And while they might not like it, they understand that it's hard and they understand that you're doing it for the, you know, the betterment of the team. And that's only sort of one specific example. But, you know, back when you're younger as well, you worry so much about, you know, is is this girl going to like me if I do this? Or is this person going to like me if I do this? And that's not even relating to sport. It's probably just relating to school or life or friendship. And, and all of that and it's always just trusting your guts and, and staying true to yourself and I think that when you're 14 it's a pretty tough age you're kind of just discovering who you are you're sort of starting you know going, you've just started high school you're having that transition you're probably finding who your friendship group is what your interests are and all those sorts of things and I think it can be very easy to try and be something you're not but at the end of the day you've kind of only only got yourself that you've got to go you know rest your head at the end of the night with um so I think if you can wake up and be happy with the person that you are and, and not have to worry about all those little things then it will help out and I think that definitely helps in netball as well if you can be really focused on just what you want to do and what you want to get out of it and obviously it's a team sport so you got to play for each other but yeah missing out on the team it's it's flipping it to be like all right well what can I do better not poor me poor me mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I guess on that, being a team sport, I know that that involves a lot of training as well because you've got to, you know, work out your set plays and do a lot of team building and team bonding and stuff like that. So if we go back to your 14-year-old self um, and a big part of, you know, what we try to do on Mighty Girls is to talk about um, how to stay engaged in sport and one of the big issues is the juggle. Um, do you recall... Um, ever sort of struggling with all the things, you know, having to juggle all the things? Um, <laughs> and do you have any suggestions or advice how of how other girls could maybe manage those things or even, I guess, just some hope that there's light at the end of the tunnel once they've kind of, you know, gotten through that difficult part? I think when I get asked that question these days, I usually say, oh, you know, I was great at juggling everything, you know, when I was in year 12 and playing for the Thunderbirds and had all my assignments, I was great. But then I speak to my parents about it and they say that I was an absolute <laughs> nightmare. I think I had about 101 breakdowns where, you know, I didn't want to do my assignment that night. I didn't want to have to wake up at 5am the next morning to go to training. Um, so, yeah, I, it, it definitely was tough. And I think even when I was younger than that, you know, probably it, it's even funny when we think about it now being, you know, where our job is essentially playing netball and we're training all the time. But I'm like, well, I train less now than I did when I was probably a 14, 15, 16 year old because oh, wow. you're juggling so many different programs in terms of, you know, you might have school netball and then you might have club netball and then you might be playing reps netball. So it's like you're sort of juggling all these different mm. things and then obviously school and you can't drive yourself. So you have to try and work out how to get to places. And, you know, obviously our training now is, is a lot different to then, but in terms of the actual time that you had to kind of try and get yourself places, it's probably yeah, easier for me now than it was back then. But I always think that athletes make good students because I think that the skills that you learn through 
playing sport and play, especially a team sport. And I think you've got to be accountable. You've got to have, you know, good time management skills because you've got to make sure you get to training on time. You've got to, um, you know, have that idea of working hard. And I always thought that I was a very sort of efficient student and that I knew that I only had an hour that I was going to do my homework. So I had to get it done. And even now when I've got something and I've got all day, I won't do it because I don't have a time constraint on me. So I think no, I that, like you, that. Know, you, you learned to be good in the times that you did have. And it was like, well, if I don't do it now, it's never getting done. So, um, yeah, even talking to teachers and that, they always said that the you know the students that they have that play a lot of sports seem to be able to manage the schoolwork and everything like that almost better because you have to do it when you do it. And, again, that's not saying it was ever easy and I still would have nights where I'd have to stay up late and, you know, not be happy about it and have to get up early the next day. But, yeah, my biggest tip is just that time management and being organised. I think, you know, you would even in the earlier days I would make sure I packed my breakfast the night before and had your lunch packed the night before so you could wake up and just go and, um, you, you know, kind of have that schedule of, of getting everything done. But, in saying that, you've also got to have time for yourself and that idea of being able to, um, you know, still have a life outside of sport is, is huge. And I always say to people when they're young, you know, when you're really young, I always say to try and play as many sports as you can because I think you learn so much from other sports, even the way that I play netball now. You know, you take bits from when I played basketball, bits from when I played tennis, and it sort of teaches you a lot to become, um, you know, a well-rounded athlete. And it also means that you don't get sick of netball because you're not just playing netball. So that'd be my number one tip to kind of help deal with all of that. But then, yeah, also don't take on too much. I think sometimes you want to say yes to everything, um, but sometimes you do have to say no. And if you say yes to everything, then you're probably not going to give 100% in any of those areas where Whereas if you pick a few things, whether that's, you know, only playing club netball and reps netball or only playing school netball and whatever the situation is, I just think you're better off kind of fully committing to one thing or two things rather than 10 things um, and just trying to, yeah, give you give your best in all of them. But also, you know, being okay to admit that you're struggling or that you're not able to handle it all and that's not a sign of weakness. It's probably more a sign of strength to say that mm. you're kind of not okay because, yeah, it's definitely harder to admit that than it is to just kind of keep slogging along yeah yeah absolutely absolutely um I think it's really interesting that that was your response because um you know with recording Mighty Girls I speak I've spoken now to um quite a few elite level young female athletes so you know one is a 15 year old um national champion weightlifter um a national tennis star champion um uh, uh um, para-athlete and every single one of them has said that time management is the yeah. way that they manage um, you know to get everything done and they actually uh, one or two of them actually say they rely on their parents telling them that they can't get to training until they're finished <laughs> uh to to make sure that happens so um yeah clearly it's it's sage advice Oh, 100%. Even now, like, I'm trying to write the third book in my series. And the first one, I said, had a bit of a deadline. The second one, I was doing a uni degree, so needed to get it done by a certain time. And this third one, I'm like, well, I can just do it whenever I want, which means I don't write it because I don't have this time constraint of being like, so that's where I need to take my own advice and be like, all right, give myself a deadline, give myself some, you know, get organised and set aside some time to do it. So it's funny how probably the older you get, the worse you probably get at some of those things that your younger self was better at. You need that old uh, writer advice. I don't know if you've heard it. Um, It is, and I can't remember which author it was, a really famous one though, and they basically say you roll out of bed and write, x amount of words and get yeah. on with your day but it's the very first thing you do when yeah. you get out of bed 
And it could only be 100 words or something like that, but it's like, yeah, I know, I have been told that as well, so I need to actually stick to the advice <laughs> I've been given again. Oh, you've already written two books better than that one done. It's <laughs> bloody incredible. We'll get on to that, actually. I'm really keen to find out about the Genesis story of, of Grace. Um, Michaela, over to you. Why don't you ask Maddie another question? Um, what's your best advice for killing it on the court? Oh, killing it on the court. That's a good one. Um Oh, that's a really tough question. I think there's different elements to that. Like one of my biggest mentalities is just you always, you know, every time you step off the court, you just want to have no regrets and have nothing left in the tank, whether that's from a physical capacity or being like, you know, there was nothing more I could have done in that game. So I think effort is the one thing that you can control. I think in netball, especially when there's so many things going on um, and you rely so much on your teammates and the opposition and, and things like that, you know, if you can walk off that court and put your hand on your heart and say, you know, there was not one more thing I probably could have done, then you can walk away from that game satisfied whether you win or lose. So I think in terms of the immediate thing, that would be my number one advice. But um, probably more specifically, um, you know, for, for me, something that I've kind of found revolutionary in the last few years is we sort of worked with like a mindset coach and a lot of the stuff she talked about was this idea of having a flashlight and it's this sort of mentality of if you close your eyes right now and you're told to think about your hands, all you're thinking about is your hands and you're not thinking about your feet or your head. You wouldn't even know what's happening with your feet. And then it's like, okay, well now think about your feet and how do your feet feel on the ground and blah, 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 blah. And you've all of a sudden forgotten about your hands. And it's this idea of giving your attention a job. And so in netball, it's like, all right, if I throw a ball away, I can get very caught up in thinking, oh, my God, I've just thrown a ball away and then it means that I'm probably going to throw the next ball away and then it probably means I'm going to throw the next ball away because I'm still thinking about those two balls that I've just thrown away. Whereas if I go, all right, I've thrown one ball away, but now I'm going to think about getting on my player and moving my feet, like something as simple as being light on my feet to get to my player, I'm no longer thinking about that ball I threw away because my mind literally doesn't have the capacity to think about two things at once, even though women think they can multitask. We actually can't because you can only be thinking about one thing at a time. Um and that sort of allowed me to now just, you know, not dwell on mistakes, get back into the moment. And then it means the next time I get the ball, I'm already kind of moving forwards and um, sort of being in the moment and not stuck, you know, three plays ago. So um, that idea of, and I know that, you know, mindfulness and mindset and that can seem like something that you should only sort of do when you're older. But I think the, the younger you are, when you start to think about, you know, what actually is my mind doing and where's my head going to because you do get to a point where even when you're sort of 14 15 where there's actually not that much that differentiates the best player from the next best player in terms of skill there's sort of only so many skills you can learn in netball and so many sort of you know tricks that you can have and especially once you get to our level it's like the difference between the best player in the competition and the worst player in the competition is about one percent but the thing that you can do to get that difference is what you do with your mindset and you know where people's mental toughness is and you know where people can get that edge is definitely not physical and again there's only so much weight you can lift in the gym there's only so fast you can get um but the bigger gains come from that um yeah mindset place so i think the younger you can sort of start developing those sorts of skills um then the better you'll be but also from a very specific point that I always tell people that I coach is your ball skills I think the netball is such a simple sport but the better that you can get with your simple passing catching like the training that we do at the Swifts compared to what I did when I was really under 15s is not very different at all we still do footwork we still spend half the training just doing passing catching drills like it doesn't get that much more complex once you get older so the more that you can hone in on your basic ball skills the better you're going to be when you're older well that's such an interesting insight <laughs> um, I always just think you're doing like these really complex drills and I'm sure you do, but yeah, 
that, you know, it's just full of all those things. <laughs> um, have you always been a centre or did you have a change or did you have to change positions as you got older and into higher level teams? Yeah, so when I started out, I was actually quite tall compared to everybody else in the team. So I always played either goal defence or goal attack. I sort of started off, I think, mainly as a goal attack, which I don't understand now because I literally could not shoot to save my life. Um, but then actually played most of my junior years as a goal defence and loved it. Like it was my favourite position ever. Like that's why Grace and Grace in the court is a um, goal defence because that was sort of always my favourite. Um, so pretty much until maybe under 15s when everyone else kept growing and I stopped growing, um, sort of moved to wing defence and then sort of slowly moved to wing defence centre. And then it was actually weird. The first time I ever played wing attack properly was for an Australian under 21s team. So it kind oh, of was wow. bizarre how I'd quit gone from being a defender into a mid-quarter into yeah probably now being more of an attack um, mid-quarter than anything so yeah I think most players would say the same thing that they've probably yeah dabbled in a bit of every area and um, again depending on your probably your height your stature and, and everything like that will ultimately probably determine where you end up. You and Palmy in attack defense. Oh, what a what a double act! I got to tell you, that was riveting. <laughs> um, oh, she was amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Such a such a yeah. When it works, it works. Hey. Um, so yeah, change through. And I know um, Michaela, the same um, has happened with you, even in early days, hasn't it? You started off more yeah. mid court, and you've moved around. I well, when I started, it was under nine, so we didn't really have set positions. It was like not an actual like comp, so we just some well, we would usually go on the positions that we were better at, but we wouldn't necessarily have set positions. But as we started going into like comps, we started actually getting proper positions. And I was I've always been a defender, but um, in under twelves, I think it, under twelve. Uh, reps um, I got put in centre and I played a lot of the season in centre yeah now, and now what are you now I'm a goal defence goalkeeper wing defence oh, no. it was good to be versatile anyway it's very handy coaches love that <laughs> Michaela's very very tall <laughs> so that's helpful. well then you'd definitely be a good defender <laughs> yeah yeah um I want to, there's, there's a question that I'm dying to ask you, but I'm going to ask you another one first, um, <laughs> just because I know it'll be helpful for everybody. I'm dying to ask you about that first game. As a <laughs> um, but the I know that it's helpful for, um, you, you know, young athletes, um, particularly as they're just starting to get serious about competition and it comes back again to mindset where, you know, you gave us such uh, fantastic um, tips and advice a little earlier. Um, and I, I hear a lot on our socials and from girls I meet that the the anxiety around um, competition days can sometimes be crippling um, and that they have trouble channeling it into something that they can use constructively. Um, and I wondered uh, now, I don't know if it's something that you, you sort of, you know, have any issues with, but I'm sure as you've sort of... Um, uh, you know, move through your career at something that you've had to deal with. What do you do to calm those pre-game nerves and to channel them into something that is useful rather than something that really can set you back? Do you have any advice or tips on that? Yeah, it's an interesting one, nerves. And I think that, you know, luckily, and hopefully this gives some young girls some hope, like I think they do get better as you get older. And it's even funny now, like I think about having the first centre pass for a grand final and like, 
I didn't even think twice about having to take that first center pass. Whereas probably even three years ago, the thought of even having the first center pass in any game would, you know, send me spiraling and I'd probably throw it away. And so it's kind of amazing how quickly you learn to sort of deal with those nerves. And even to this day, I now get it sounds funny, I get nervous if I don't feel nervous. Like I love the idea of feeling nervous before a game because it means that I'm, you know, I'm excited, I'm ready, I'm prepared because, you know, and you've got that sort of fire in the belly. Like you almost sort of feel like that. Whereas if I go into a game where I'm just feeling a bit like, "Eh, yeah, meh, like I'm like, well, I'm about to go and play like a game of professional netball in front of a crowd. Like I should be feeling some form of nerves. So it's a really tricky one because I think you still want to have those nerves there because they can be used really positively and turned into energy. But as you said, they also can be debilitating where it takes all your energy and all you feel is nerves. So I think there's so many different ways that you can try and deal with that. And I think everybody probably just needs to find what works for them. And even I throughout the years have tried different ways. And in terms of preparation, I used to be that person that was in the change rooms, jumping around, singing, dancing, fist pumping, doing all of that. And then you'd have other people that were sitting there with their own headphones in that were listening to their own music and doing their own thing. And it was probably through the years that you've learned that everyone does prepare very differently. And even I have changed. I've gone from probably always being really up and about to sort of having my moments of being up and about, but then also having my moments where I'll just be really calm and really quiet and just sit there and breathe and maybe write in my journal what my sort of goals are for the game or talk to the person next to me about what our game plan is. And then just before we're about to go out, you know, we'll have sort of five minutes maybe where we all get really up and about and kind of get that energy high. So it's, it honestly sounds weird, but it's like you've got to train for it. Like you've got to work out sometimes what doesn't work for you before you know what works for you. And again, I'm talking like this has only happened for me in the last few years that I've really learned what's what's best. And back to that mindfulness coach we had, you know, she came in and gave us some visualisation where we would literally lie down, close our eyes, do breathing, do some, you know, visualising of what the game was going to look like take those deep breaths, almost go into a bit of like a meditation and then go out. But then on the flip side, I've had other games where in the past you've been jumping up and down and singing and shouting and, and doing all of that. So it's probably not a helpful answer, but it's no, literally it that idea yeah. of just trying different things and working out whether you are that person that needs to get the energy out, whether you're that person that just needs to take some deep breaths. Um, but I always find it's all just talking to someone, like in terms of netball is so great that it's a team sport and you'll often find that if you're feeling like that, the person sitting next to you is probably feeling like that as well. So it's, you know, Michaela, you going to your teammate before you're about to go and play in a reps grand final, like, Oh, I'm feeling nervous. And then they're like, yep, so am I. But then you say, all right, well, you know, we're both in this together. Let's, you know, have some eye contact at the start of the game and just know that if we're looking at each other, we're both feeling like that and it's all okay. And I think anyone knows that probably the moment that whistle blows, like you don't really take in anything else because you then become so focused on the game. And, um, yeah, I think it's just knowing that you will get through it and you've played netball for 14 years or for 20 years or for however many years and you're not going to forget how to pass and catch. Um, yes, you might <laughs> drop a ball. Yes, you might throw a ball away. Yes, you might miss a goal, do an air ball, look like a fool like you think for one minute, but then the game goes on and everyone does the same thing. So you'll notice in grand finals, teams don't score goals for probably two minutes because going back and forth and that's still at the top level. So again, it doesn't go away. We're not all superhuman. You're going to have nerves, but it's just probably worth working out the the techniques that work best for you to deal with them. I think that's the great thing, Maddie, about having um, uh, adult professional sports people on the podcast is that there's so much power in knowing that there's no right answer to something. Mm. So, you know, to know and, and not even 
um, is there no right answer? There's no right answer for you. Like you, as you said, could in one situation um, feel really amped and want to move and stuff like that. And then in another situation, mm-hmm. you know, feel like you just want peace and quiet and that kind of thing. And I know um, from my own younger days and Michaela, I don't know if you've experienced this as well. You feel like there should be a thing you do, you know, there yeah. should be a way that you do it. Um, but as you get older, you realize that there are very few things that uh, have definitive answers. <laughs> <laughs> you know? yes, absolutely um, yeah I think that's one of the yeah no no absolutely not <laughs> a lot more gray than there is black and white that's for sure <laughs> yeah 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 that's right life is in the gray um <laughs> but one thing I'm going to do a terrible pun here one thing that is not gray one thing that is shiny and <laughs> sparkly <laughs> <laughs> is a diamond. I lost my mind <laughs> when I went out on the court. I lost my mind. Tommy, what's that? <laughs> I Poppy used to that. <laughs> I know. Poppy's going to hear it and be like, Mum, you are so embarrassing. <laughs> um, tell me all about it. I want every detail that day, what it was like. Did you know you were being called up? I don't, I, don't, I can't remember if I saw it on this. Tell me all about it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was amazing and, you know, a dream come true and sort of every word you could describe. And I think it's, yeah, one of those sort of crazy situations the way that this happens and sort of the structure of those sorts of tours are always quite interesting. Like, you know, I'd been in the Diamond Squad since 2020 and then we'd gone to New Zealand into sort of a quarantine bubble at the start of 2021 and they'd taken a whole team of the squad of 18, uh, sorry, yeah, I think it was about 18 over there and I sort of never found my way into the um, match day 12. So there's sort of a process to kind of becoming a diamond in that the moment you get into the 12, you get a dress. So that's when you get presented the dress. So until you're actually in that match day 12 or either on the bench or on the court, you get a dress and then you don't get a number until the moment you step on the court. So I was in that tour at the start of um, 2021, but never got in the 12. So still didn't have a dress. And then um, in the start of uh, 2022, missed out on the squad and then got put back in sort of at the end. So it had been this kind of crazy roller coaster of being like, am I ever going to sort of get this dress or get this number? And um, then when they announced this, yeah, these tours for the um, England and, and New Zealand series, and I found out I was in both. I was like, oh, God, okay, this is one step closer to kind of being able to make this happen. But, again, they still take a squad of 14 to both tours and you can still only have 12 on the game day um, team. And so the first game, we, uh, myself and Sophie Dwyer, both weren't selected. And so, again, you still don't get that dress. And they're sort of doing all the dress presentations and you're so excited for everybody else. But, again, you're still sort of thinking, is this ever going to happen for me? And um, then, yeah, we went to Taronga for the second game and, um they send out the message with the team sort of the night before and it's it's a bit of a joke that we um I think I was at Nando's with Liz Watson <laughs> Sunday and, and um Sophie Garb and, and that's when we got the WhatsApp message naming the 12 and we kind of always joked about the four of us will always be at Nando's in Auckland <laughs> when we found out that that 12 and um, which was a pretty special um, way to find out eating my Nando's but um we then went to Taronga the next day and the way that they sort of present you with your dress is they usually get an ex-diamond um, to do it. And sort of in the past, it's been whatever city you're in, they'll get someone that lives there. But for starters, we were in New Zealand, so there wasn't anyone there. But also with COVID, um, they've been doing these virtual messages. And, um, you know, most girls had got all emotional when theirs happened. And I was sort of thinking, oh, I wonder if I'm going to be emotional. And anyway, the moment that they played my video and it was Nat Bombardo talking to me, I was just hysterical oh. from the beginning because, um, you know, I'd grown up idolising Nat Bombardo. For those who don't know, she was the captain of Australia. She was the captain of the Thunderbirds when I first started playing. And in my opinion, probably the best centres to, oh, 
amazing. Like she was just, she's the epitome of what a centre should be and probably what netball in Australia is. And, um, you know, the, the words that she said and kind of even what she spoke about for the whole team, it was pretty special. And, um, yeah, that was probably one of the, the greatest memories. And I guess that my debut itself probably wasn't the dream debut in terms of we lost the game. And um, I sort of came on with, yeah, a few minutes to go, I think, in the second quarter, which I definitely wasn't expecting. You sort of never know when you're going to be playing or if you're even getting on the court because that's the thing. You could still be in the 12 but never actually get on the court. So there's so much sort of wondering about what's going to happen. And, you know, for me, it's always I just want the team to win and the fact that it was, you know, a losing game kind of, you know, made you feel like it wasn't probably the, the dream that you wanted. But, again, to be able to get on the court and to do it that day with Sophie Dwyer and Ruby, um, they called Doran as well, was was pretty special. And to kind of do it with that group was amazing. And, um, yeah, I guess then you sort of fast forward to the, the first game that I started, which is the game um, against England in Newcastle when it was probably one of the most epic games I've ever been a part That's of. That's the one that you got. That layup um, at the end. Is that the yeah, one where you player got of the match? Player of the match? Yeah, that was Yeah, amazing. it was. So that was sort of crazy as well than that I'd kind of gone. So I had my debut, but then didn't get named in the 12 for the next two games. So sort of didn't have the opportunity to be back on court. And then the new series against England started. And I was sort of, you know, just hoping that I would be in that 12. And so I've then found out I'm in the 12 and then we're sitting in the change rooms before the game and they named the starting seven and I'm starting in centre. And yeah, could not believe it that I'd sort of gone from one thing to the next and to, yeah, do that in you know, Newcastle, which is in New South Wales, to do it in that situation, in that game and to kind of play a full game game and, and have that happen um yeah that was probably the, the fairy tale part so um yeah just so grateful and and then of course it's eventful for me always the next game I get concussed as well so I think I had a bit of everything I had you know a quick debut that I had the you know amazing game and then got knocked out so I've had it all happen so I've had a pretty good diamonds career to date with what my three epic games. <laughs> yeah, absolutely and obviously uh, more to come this year with the world champs Yes, it's going to be a huge year. So hopefully, mm. lots of more international netball to come. We still don't know exactly what's you know the schedule is going to look like, and you know what even the teams will look like, or the squads or anything like that. But yeah, really hoping that I'll I'll get another bite of the cherry. <laughs> Fantastic, no doubt you will after that epic player of the match performance. That was incredible. Um, and yeah, wow, Danelle's layup. Oh, you honestly, I think they need to make a movie out of it. It was ridiculous. Yes, <laughs> just that whole story, just that whole that amazing, incredible. amazing. Oh. My cousin won't stop doing that moment at the netball courts. <laughs> oh, really? That's so funny. <laughs> Reenacting it. That's amazing. Yeah, actually, a lot more people even in. Uh, so I, it's off season at the moment for my netball because I play old person netball on the weekends, and uh, you know, normal season isn't on, but I do play. Um, fast five and then sometimes um full court indoor and I do notice that a lot more people are trying layups it's just even your average shows yeah I know, I know it's I know. so good it's so good <laughs> Gretel and Danelle have definitely created a whole new world so I think they really a lot have. More these days. <laughs> absolutely absolutely um so I wanted to get on to um, your books because that's how we sort of became acquainted is when there's just so few books about, you know, fiction books about sporty girls out there. And when I learned about yours, I just had to have it in the in the store and um, it's gone great guns. Um, we had the first one, Grace on the Court. We've had that for a while. And then we've got Grace back on the court now. She's hit the court again. <laughs> she's um, back. She's back. Um I wanted to learn 
more about how that came about. Well, two things, I guess, not just how Grace came about and how that relates to your story, but also your evolution as a writer and how, um, you know, what that sort of call looked like for you to pick up the pen or, you know, obviously start typing more to the <laughs> And point. I think people still think that I actually hand wrote the book and I'll just, you know, disclaimer right now, I typed it. I would have, I think, Carvel Title or it's quite, it's quite, if it's I was quite long. Yeah, if I was handwriting <laughs> that. So and I, and my writing is illegible, so I wouldn't have been able to read it anyway. <laughs> but um yeah. I guess, you know, to sort of answer I guess both questions. My, like I always loved writing growing up. My mum's a journalist, so sort of that idea of writing was probably born into me in some ways. I can remember always walking around with a clipboard and wanting to interview people and, you know, would write stories as a kid. And even my dad was always a great storyteller and would tell, you know, make up these stories about Morris Mildred and Molly living in the, you know, jungle in Africa and sort of (laughs) I guess that, yeah, that, that sort of, yeah, mantra of, telling stories was just something that I sort of grew up around and um, kind of always had this real crazy dream of writing a book. And, you know, when you like write your to-do lists when you're, you know, a 14, 15-year-old or something, I think it was like meet Justin Bieber, like go to Europe and then it was like <laughs> write a book and then I think get a drum kit and it was like all these random things that I wrote but write a book was sort of always up there. But um, I guess, yeah, how I then started to actually write it was – it, partly it was just for a bit of fun. Like I'd just got back from a World Youth Cup and um, had had to defer uni. I think it was the uh, end of 2013, so I would have been, um, you know, about 19 or something and um, just kind of started writing for fun. And I'd always kind of had this idea of Grace Parker and the Linwood Lions and um, this girl sort of starting high school. And I guess I always knew that that transition from primary school to high school was a really critical time in a young person's life. And I know even for me it was like that's when everything sort of changes and you go from kind of being a little kid and being at primary school and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, I'm getting older and I've got to work out who I am and and what I'm doing and I sort of thought that that was definitely the age that I wanted to write for and wanted to write about um, because I think that for me getting through those years, sport was a saviour and I think that I wouldn't have, you know, made the friends that I made, had the kind of fun that I had at school and actually been one of those kids that just loved going to school every day because I had sport and um, it really did sort of shape who I was and I sort of thought that if, you know, I can get kids reading about sport that, you know, it might encourage them to play. And then on the flip side, I think there's a bit of a stigma around, you know, if you're a sporty kid, you don't like reading and it's like, is reading mm. cool or is it not yeah. cool? And mm. um, I sort of thought, well, okay, if then on the other side of it, I can get kids that don't usually like reading but like sport to read a book about sport, then I've also achieved a goal there. And I'd grown up reading these books called Specky McGee that followed, you know, they're written by Gary Lyon, who's an AFL footballer, and Felice Reina is an author and kind of followed Specky, Simon Specky McGee, as he tried to become an AFL footballer. And I think there were about seven books and my brothers had them and, you know, we all read them cover to cover. And I was always looking in the library for, you know, the same sort of things about girls playing netball. And there were a few out there and there were a few kind of about sport, but nothing that sort of, you know, resonated with me as much as the Specky McGee stories had. So um, I sort of thought, well, why don't I write something that that I would have liked to have read at that age that can also kind of achieve those goals as well. And, um, yeah, people always ask me, am I Grace? And I always say Grace is what I wish my life was like at 13 (laughs) because she's a lot more glamorous than I am. She's a lot more level-headed than I was as a 13-year-old. We often talk about Grace being a little too good to be true sometimes, so I'm (laughs) going to have to write some flaws into her in in book three. But um, I guess in terms of the family dynamic, like she's got two brothers. I grew up with two brothers. She grows up in Adelaide. I grew up in Adelaide. Um, And then, you know, in terms of the netball 
story. A lot of that kind of draws on experiences that I had, but I didn't have a Sebastian King, the lead singer of the Linwood Lions, chasing after me <laughs> as a 13-year-old, unfortunately. But um, I'm, yeah, I'm so clear about it. what he looks like in my head. You describe it so well. He's like Lil Harry Styles, essentially, yeah, in my yeah, mind. Yeah, so I yeah, hope yeah. that's what he looks like to you. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think as well, funny. writing the first one, I had no expectations. Like, to be honest, I wasn't even going to show anyone. For me, it was just like a little achievement that I could tick off myself. And it probably wasn't until my mum sort of asked why I was always at my laptop typing away that I decided to show her what I was doing. And, and she sort of started reading it and was the one that kind of said, you know, this isn't half bad. Maybe we should see if we can get it published. And um, I knew nothing about the publishing world or how any of that worked. And it took a long time to sort of work out how to get it to a publisher and I guess if there happens to be anyone that's listening that wants to become an author, the way that it sort of ended up happening for me was um, I had a great auntie who was quite a famous author who had actually only come into our lives in those last few years who'd written a whole heap of sort of gardening books and some poetry and things like that. And I'd sent the book out to, they call it like, you know, Manuscript Mondays or something like that where they open the email floodgates to those wanting to submit a book and had never heard a thing back. And she sort of told me that to get something published, you've got to have an agent. So sort of like how I have a manager for netball who helps my contracts and things like that. I had to get a literary agent who is sort of that bridge between the author and the publishers and have a bit more credibility. And the moment that you get an agent come on board, it gives you a lot more hope of getting something published. So she hooked me up with an agent who took the book on, who then, you know, sent the manuscript to some publishers and ended up um, getting one. So I think I said I started writing the book at the end of 2013, probably finished it by 2014, and then the book wasn't published until 2018. So it was quite a long process to do all the editing and obviously being, you know, a first-time author, there was a lot of kind of, you know, things to go through and, and things to change and kind of me just learning about the literary world and that sort of then inspired me to go to uni when I first moved to Sydney. So I wrote the book while I was still living in Adelaide, made the move to Sydney when uh, the 2017 season book came out in 2018. And then I sort of thought, well, maybe I should make this editing process a little bit quicker by um, doing a master's in creative writing. So I went to uni here in Sydney and got my master's, which helped me, you know, I was able to submit some chapters of the second book as kind of assignments and gave me some real um, guidance and had some great lecturers and sort of mentors through that that have helped me um, become a little bit better of a writer and not so much <laughs> of a novice. Um, and also just, yeah, kind of opened my world to the writing world in a way. But, um, yeah, book three still a bit of a struggle and still coming along. So maybe I need to go back to uni and do another degree to get the third one finished. <laughs> Seems a bit extreme. (laughs) I agree. So maybe I should just actually do it instead. (laughs) Um, What was your undergrad, by the way? Uh, A Bachelor of Management Marketing, so nothing related to writing. Um, Did that in Adelaide, just sort of. I never really knew what I wanted to kind of do when I finished school, but had always sort of loved English, but then also loved maths. So I sort of did, you know, maths and physics and that in year 12, but didn't want to be an engineer and then didn't want to sort of mum kind of pushed me away from journalism at that stage it wasn't sort of the best environment to be in so thought marketing was kind of a bit of middle ground but um yeah have now gone with you know open doors to be able to do a postgrad in in writing which was awesome yeah it would have worked out really well oh fantastic well I can't wait for book three personally (laughs) Um, me neither because I don't know what's going to (laughs) happen it's funny isn't it how um uh a lot of authors um describe how like the character was just ready to pop out of their brain when they wrote the first one and then um, subsequent books tend to, they have no idea and they tend to write themselves. Yeah, um, yeah, and, yeah I mean, I don't I'm, I don't write but I'm obsessed with 
people that do and that's it's re- it's a really common story and I think it's yeah, yeah incredible to be able to have you know to have that skill so <laughs> um as I was saying to Maddie just before we started recording um I sent uh, an email out about Grace back on the court um when I got them in and they sold out nearly immediately. So <laughs> I'm going to put another order in so that when this pod comes out, people are like, oh, that sounds really good that we actually have enough stock. Um, but I also, speaking of um, the tribe, um, my Lava Tribe community, Olivia from Melbourne and Josie, I'm sorry, Josie, I can't recall where you're from, but they both wanted to say how much they love you and hello. Oh. Um, well hello Olivia and Josie and I love you guys too (laughs) I know that they're mad netball fans so I sent them a message to say is there anything you want to say and they're just like oh just just Um, that's brilliant though thank you (laughs) so yeah there'll be a lot of very excited um girls ready to listen and draw upon your advice it's been really really wonderful of you to take the time to um share your lived experience um with everybody today and um yeah, when book three is out, I reckon we need to chat again. What do you reckon? <laughs> Absolutely. Can't wait. <laughs> Sounds good. Michaela, did you have anything else you want to ask, Maddie? No. No, you're all good. <laughs> I think I've talked enough for the whole world, haven't I? I don't. I don't there's no shortage of words when I'm around. <laughs> Same. Yeah, you're in good company. <laughs> well, Maddie, um, thank you so much for taking the time to be on Mighty Girls. And, um, yeah, we'll look forward to that book three and many more diamonds appearances in 2023 thank you thanks guys thanks for having me